Hello and welcome to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. We chat about what they know now, what they wish they'd known earlier, and what their experience has taught them about dementia, about life, about anything and everything. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum lived with vascular dementia for the last decade of her life. She's no longer with us, but one of the main things that mum's dementia taught me and my family was just how little we knew about it. Now, through my work as a dementia blogger and campaigner, I know so much more about this incurable condition. Not least that the smallest things can make a huge difference to those with dementia and their families and carers. I called this podcast after a quote from author and poet Sylvia Plath, who wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. And dementia teaches you this, too. My guest this week is a woman with deep wells of compassion and veritable oceans of empathy. Refreshingly, sometimes alarmingly honest, and I hope she won't mind me saying just a little quirky, it's a compliment in my view, she's one of those rare individuals who is genuinely curious and interested in others. She is also very, very passionate about dementia care. Sally Knocker, for it is she, read law at university and then in a typically unorthodox fashion, took a job delivering Robert's radios and batteries to older blind people in Greenwich. It was at this point that, to use her own words, Sally got the bug for working with older people. Since then, she has worked consistently and tirelessly with older people and those with dementia, giving openly of her generous spirit, her energy and her considerable insight. It is their gain, and possibly blind people's loss, that she did. So Sally, welcome to Well, I Know Now. I like that intro, thank you very much. (laughs) So my first question to you is a pretty obvious one, given that rather sort of strange link there. What was it about working with these older people, or sort of just meeting these older people when you were delivering the Roberts radios, that gave you the bug? Yeah, I mean, I thought I was going to be working with visually impaired children, because that was... I done at university as a volunteer I'd worked in a, a school for blind children and then this job came up and I I realized that the majority of people I was visiting were in their sort of 70s 80s 90s and essentially I was being paid to have a cup of tea and <laughs> put a battery in a radio and what I realized was I was supposed to be doing about 10 visits a day and I ended up only doing about three or four visits a yes. day because <laughs> the conversations were just incredible and I suppose that's you, you mentioned my curiosity but I just love people's stories Yes. And of course, the older you are, probably the more stories and more of a bank of memories that you have. And I suppose the other thing that struck me when I was doing those visits was back to your point about little things making a difference. They were very lonely people. Mm. And Mm. what was clever about the charity I was working for was the battery was actually, in a sense, irrelevant. And it was a shame when they stopped delivering batteries because things became more plugged in, that they didn't need the batteries anymore, Mm. that then they lost that social link because essentially the main point of the visit was not the battery. It was actually to connect with people socially. And the visit that I made and the cup of tea that I had and the hour that I stayed was probably one of the Mm. main social events of that person's week, if not month. And I got the bug in the sense that I just enjoyed hearing 
about people's work and families and surviving things that I couldn't even imagine. I was only 21 at the time. It was very different life experiences to me. It was mainly sort of older working class people in Greenwich who'd not travelled very far but had this incredibly sort of rich life experience, which was just fascinating to me. And did any of the people that you met then, did they, were they living with dementia? Yes. And I, I, again, not knowing much about dementia at the time, I remember one particular man that I visited who was living in really quite squalid conditions. Mm. And I had to sort of sort of pinch my nose as I went in to, to visit him because he was, you know, clearly struggling with personal care and everything. Yes. And everyone avoided him. And I, of yes. course, just typical me, I kind of get fond of the people everybody else doesn't like. Yes, um, he was a little cantankerous and he very forgetful. And But there was something, I didn't at the time know the diagnosis, but I knew something wasn't right. And I did get more social services help in because I realised things weren't as they should be and he, he didn't have any family support. And obviously when he saw me, he always treated it as a new meeting. So I thought, you know, clearly uh, he doesn't know who I am. Yes. And yet, actually, interestingly, over time, because I visited him for a year, he had a sense of who I was because of yes. that connection, which is, again, yes. something I've learned. Yes. That he didn't know my name. And he will have remembered the emotion he that you were somebody nice. Feeling. made him feel good. So the sort of cantankerous, inverted commas, old yes. man... Over the years, suddenly, you know, I found out lots about him. He'd been in the army, he'd had, you know, lots of great life experiences again that made him an interesting man to me, even though to many people he would have just been this rather grubby, confused old gentleman. Yes, which is so interesting and actually rather nicely, and obviously this isn't rehearsed, brings us on to your first learning, I think, because I ask everybody to come with three things that they know now that they didn't before. And you are just so naturally somebody who I think a lot of us would go in and see or think, oh, this is a bit of a smelly old man, to put it rather crudely. Um, But you just see a person who's very interesting and you immediately kind of thought, "Mm, there's something a little bit not right. But because your first learning was actually with, particularly with people with dementia, which is obviously what we're really talking about, is that it's we, it's not them Mm. and us. It's we, we're all people. We're all searching for stories, you know, they're the narrative threads that connect us. And you'd think that I had nothing particularly in common with him, you know, he was 60 years older than me, very different background. But yeah, you're right, for me the biggest thing that I try to communicate in all my teaching and the way I am with people is you're right, there's no them. And as soon as we get into them, that's when we start to treat people differently and worryingly I think that's at the heart of some of the poor care practices where we somehow we are the staff and those people there are different and other to us absolutely um which is why you know very passionately I always drink from the same mugs I eat the same food you know only recently I was in a home and I was offered a different lunch you know do you want baked potato and salad but everybody else was having stew and I went but again, that's a, a yes. message that if I sit there differentiation, with different, yeah, yes. And when I said no, actually, I'd like to eat what everybody else is eating, people sort of struggled with that. Yes. But it's fundamental to me that we break down this separation, and maybe it is because people are older. We haven't got to being older ourselves yet. Yes. That somehow the other is easier to create with older adults. I think there's a bit of a fear, isn't there? Because I know when I talk about sometimes old age, I don't know if you've heard the quote by May Sarton. Old age is a, a different country, yes. a foreign language. Yes, I do know we that. We always quote. think that old age is <coughs> over there. Yes, it's always 10 years older than we, we are, are. Hopefully. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And even more so, perhaps, with dementia, because again, that's the fear. Yeah. We just don't want to be there. With old age, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. Because we're all going to get old, or yeah. the alternative is worse. Yeah, or die younger. <laughs> yes, I don't know why we make these 
it's like we do always in life, don't we? Categories. It's, it's like what do you do for a living, it? or you know, we categorise people and. Yeah, I, I, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of what it is that, in the whole structure of care, tries to create these separations. And I, and I so some people say it's to protect yourself. You know, sort of protect professional boundaries are about protection, yes, etc. Yes, yes. And I understand that if we get emotionally involved, there's a risk in that because it means we get hurt when people die or get iller or etc. You know, in those relationships I had with the Metropolitan Society blind job and all the subsequent jobs I have. I do get close to people, which means that you can therefore experience loss and, and pain when you lose those people. So perhaps some people who particularly in direct care work don't want to go there every time, so they create this wall. Mm. But we would say that, certainly in the work that I do, that actually it's that emotional involvement that creates really good care. But you do need to protect yourself alongside that because it can take its toll and people can burn out if they give too much yes and actually i'm just thinking because for those people who don't know you yeah could you just explain sort of your role generally not specifically yeah. with one yeah. you know, aspect of it, but so, what you so do. a lot of my work is in culture change which is a rather sort of pompous phrase but what it basically means is trying to work in institutions like care homes or hospitals or even in day settings to make them more like a family environment, to make them less like an institution, to mm. sort of strip away all those characteristics of a workplace, if you like, mm. like um, nursing stations and uniforms mm. and trolleys mm. and, you know, all of those features that, if you like, make people feel that they're in a place of work. There's a lovely mm. quote that you might have seen on social media which says, we need to remember that we are working in people's homes they yes. are not living in our workplace yes so that Absolutely. in a sense is my motto in all the work mm. that I do and I do this internationally now in Canada and mm. Australia America as well as the UK and Ireland is to encourage the staff to think well what's it like in your own home mm. and Absolutely. how can we create that sense and it's harder when you've got 50 people in a building or of 80 course. people in a building to really create hard. a sense and of there home. are practicalities involved yeah. so we can't but but yes, I mean, that you so forget that. I remember going to see my mum and her. Uh, she was in two nursing homes in the end. But yes, you almost overnight become not institutionalised, but it's just such a different thing, isn't it? And yeah. I think I've talked to you before, Sally, about the way that it's awful, really. It's There's something very poignant about the fact that you go into one room, your whole life is distilled into one care home room. Yeah. And they can be a bit like that. Yeah. That you're just sort of tucked away in one room and then you sort of like wheel down occasionally come out to a lounge or a, di a dining room where there's a television on or whatever and it, yes life is very diminished isn't it but I don't believe it has to be like that if people start to create a real sense of home and family and it's very little things like in the care homes we work in having a kitchen area that is accessible mm. to mm. people mm. living in the mm. home and mm. the families mm. visiting mm. it's such a sort of simple thing but mm. every home mm. has a kitchen doesn't it absolutely and, and a kettle a cup of tea make exactly a cup of tea. but there's so much risk aversion you know what oh. will happen if someone touches oh. the kettle etc etc that you know that's the quote that the judge said that in, in a court case i remember saying that you know you can be physically safe but dying inside absolutely you can um, you can there is isn't there is a cotton wool yes mentality that essentially keeps people secure yes but actually but what is the life totally impoverished inside yes, yeah. and yes. That, that's the core is the spirit stuff it's the the love it's the yes you say that it's about having a soul isn't yeah. it yeah what i'm positive about in this work is most people get that the good care staff i work with yes know that being loving have is, you noticed is the change? center of it all. i mean how long have you been doing this now 
I've been in this particular culture change work for about eight years. Mm. And prior to that, I was doing sort of training around activities and, you know, sort of more sort of, if you like, icing on the cake stuff. Mm. But what I've Mm. learned now is you can't put those things on top of a fundamental structure that's not right. Absolutely, yeah. So I sort of describe it a bit like a tree, that you can't decorate the tree unless you've got the roots. Yes, quite. And a lot of our work is about the root stuff, which is developing passionate leaders. Mm, And the culture. A real a focus on emotional intelligence, mm, not recruiting staff just for their pieces of paper. paper. Yeah. We don't need masses of academic qualifications, but we do need people who've how got heart. How do you heart. measure that? I mean, how, or not measure, but how, you know, if you were interviewing somebody for a job, or do you watch them working with people? Well, or? try and get them to do, yeah, mm. see them directly interacting with people. That's obviously the best way. But the questions we ask at interview would be about asking them to talk about their own lives. It's back to the, yeah. to the, the us stuff. Yeah. So think of a time in your life when you felt vulnerable, Right. What was what was important to you? Oh, right. Turn um, it back on yourself a bit. Or sometimes we'll perhaps have some objects on a table in the interview, you know, sort of sort of random things like a pair of shoes and, I don't know, a, a photograph or a picture or whatever. And we'll say, how do you think you might use what's mm. on the table to change mm. a moment for mm. someone? Mm. See how um, they react to it yeah. and what their response is. Um, interesting. But, yeah, the key thing for us is to get them talking about themselves as people. What's interesting for me in dementia care is most of the best dementia care workers, from my experience, have had life experiences that have been tough. They draw on that to understand, as you say, back to the empathy thing you talked about at the beginning. I mean, all of us have had life experiences Mm. at one level, but Mm. many good dementia care workers have had something in their life that's been difficult. Yes, it Maybe they've been adopted, um, maybe they've had some kind of rejection, maybe they've had an illness themselves or cared for somebody themselves, that, that, that they have an understanding of what it's like to be frightened That's or lonely. That's so interesting as well, Sally, because I, this is a real omission, but I always think you've got to be truthful. I had a completely different attitude towards dementia and people with dementia before my mum got it. Yeah. Really? Because it was the whole stigma thing. Yeah. Because I was frightened and ignorant yeah. about it. Yeah. And so I was kind of metaphorically, obviously I wouldn't because I have got compassion, but sort of metaphorically crossed the road. Yeah. You know, not want to look or whatever. Just be slightly English, like slightly holding back, holding back. Yeah. Once my mum got it, I realised that this is my mum. Yeah. This is a person. This is a person. And if anybody else sort of gave her a sideways look, my God, yeah, you know, but, I'd be like, yeah, like the, t- the tiger <laughs> daughter. Yeah. But yeah. it's so interesting. So in a way, you're looking for people, or, or maybe no, you're these people that have this empathy. They've realised that. Maybe they've not been on dementia, the outside in the, some way. Yeah. I think that's key for me is, and I mentioned to you before we started this interview that I was in boarding school as a child. And I do think my experience of being away from my mum and in an institution myself means that I have this fire in my belly, if you like, for people not to experience the kind of loneliness and that I felt in at boarding school. And it is interesting. It's almost like I've gone to the very place I don't want to go to because every time I go into a care home, I have that slightly sick feeling. Still? Still, unless it's a place where we've done this amazing work where wow. I've actually started to make it feel not like a, wow. an institution. So the drive for me is that, you know, I go back to that little girl, age 10, wow. going to boarding school and wanting to be with my mum. And I see that in the 85-year-old who's searching yeah. for their mother who wants to go home 
Gosh, how sad. We see that a lot, don't we? And many older adults with dementia, those same kind of pronounced sort of attachment needs for the the security that mum or home or whatever it is. I remember when my mum was very advanced, actually not very advanced, but becoming more advanced with her dementia. And when I went to say goodbye and I would sort of stroke her face, she would grab my fingers and almost like suckle them. Yeah. Yeah. She'd do that. She was like a baby. It was absolutely instinctive need to be mothered yeah or gosh that's so fascinating yeah. Sally I I I mean one of your so if anybody can hear these weird snuffly <laughs> sniffy noises we've got we've got a third person in the room or a third four-footed person <laughs> we've got Bert everybody Bert my cockapoo dog who's just sort of wanting to be yeah <laughs> um yes because one of the things you know now that you've said to me was the importance of making a care home much more like a family home and the yeah. fact that people do tend to think care home oh, bad yeah. <laughs> trying to remain in, in your own home and community for as long as possible good it's the desirable thing yeah but as we know it isn't always like that but try and make a care home really really good yeah. as you're doing yeah I mean I think there is a danger of seeing being in one's own home is a good thing because and obviously most of us would say if we were asked that we would want to remain in our own homes but if you are simply only seeing one care worker exactly. a day it's very isolating um, and you haven't got much social connection I've seen some people come to life in a good care home because they are in relationships with others they've got company and things I mean I'm someone who thrives on other people so I imagine I would probably enjoy it being around <laughs> others provided that it is more like a, a home than a than an institution That's good though isn't it so you hopefully have gone from you know being so terrified S- scared of the, of the institutional care yeah I mean I'm still scared Pippa because I don't think there are enough care home groups doing what we really want there's a big trend towards obviously hotel style yeah very smart very sort of posh if you like yes which um, is not which, really the point no is it? and that's the worry it's the soul it's the people it always comes down to the people yeah and we it? most of us know that but it does yeah. worry me that relatives sometimes are taken in the by the look. smart and as you say h- how can we teach relatives ourselves to get under the surface of those those very smart places to see if they have got the loving culture that we're yes. that I'm trying to you yes. know, sort of teach about. And you like. mentioned that you're now doing a lot of work in Canada too. Yes. Do you notice differences in different countries in the way they go about Same them? issues. Same issues. Okay. I mean the only thing I'd notice obviously in some parts of Canada is there's even more regulation, even more restrictions and risk aversion, etc. But wow. um yeah, and England's not oh UK, Britain is not great either. Wherever we go the same issues are around and it is about this sort of desire for sort of clinical efficiency etc and obviously those things are important physical care is important has sort of taken over to the extent that the heart of a place is lost and we need to bring that back because most care staff when you talk to them say I know someone sometimes need a cuddle or you know they don't comfort Uh, but that some training still says you can't do it you shouldn't get too close Mm. you mustn't touch you know inappropriately Mm. blah blah Mm. it's seen as inappropriate Mm. to give someone a hug Mm. and Um, everybody needs a hug exactly yeah I mean it's not that we're kind of randomly going to hug everyone who doesn't (laughs) doesn't like (laughs) (laughs) but you know but the key is giving people permission Absolutely. I mean, I, in one of the homes in Canada recently, there was a housekeeper there, a lovely young man, who's you know doing the cleaning, and he says, "I don't always get the cleaning done because there's a you know a couple of women particularly who love him. You know, he's yeah. the young man in the building, yeah. Yeah. and he said, you know, it's difficult because they come over and say, I love you and want a hug for yeah. me, and I I don't know whether I'm allowed yeah, to respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, very tricky because he's got in his being a, a, a natural, natural way. 
Yeah. But he's yeah. worried that he might be, you know, if you like, lose his job if he behaves yeah. in a particular way. Have you way. looked at all at the Scandinavian countries? Because I know I've, when I've researched a bit, I've found that, you know, they were doing great things with, say, the care farms, where, again, of course, it's different <clears throat> because they've got a far smaller population and yeah. they have a different way of funding their social care. and their, But the care farms, and some of them were beginning to become residential, yeah. much smaller units, yeah. going already, this is some years ago now, so they were ahead of us in that, towards more family-type housing, so you'd get six, yeah. eight, possibly ten, but much yeah. smaller groups. Yeah. And then also using, you know, a, a care farm, if anybody doesn't know, it was just where they had a farm going <coughs> on, and they would be growing all sorts of things that they would eat. Lots in the natural environment. Lots of natural environment. Com- animals, which, you know, here we have Bert, we're just yeah. discussing the empathy, you know, the wonderful... Thing with dogs and what it gave back to these people and I saw films mm. and things you know and it was it was wonderful and they ha- there are care farms in the UK quite a few now yeah and it's just brilliant there are some good sort of videos out there and more sort of intergenerational places I mean absolutely you know, one of the homes we've worked in Nottinghamshire now has a children's nursery inside the same grounds as the care home so there's a daily interaction between the ch- young people intergenerational and the people. is yeah. great but it? not just the coming for Christmas thing no, which, no, no, which is the one that I rather dread people say you know kind of we have the children coming in to sing at Christmas it's not that is it it's not just for Christmas that we want children and animals we mm. want them to be mm. relationships mm. every day yeah, and every yeah. week and for it to be reciprocal that the older adults perhaps read to the children so it's not just the children doing their thing for the older adults that's what real relationships are, isn't it? There's a reciprocity. And I think many adults with dementia miss the ability to still give, to still nurture, to still... Absolutely, and still have a purpose and still yeah. nurture. I mean, the reciprocity is very interesting. In Japan, they had three years of dementia care. Yeah. Have you heard about this? I have, I've heard of them. Don't know yeah. much about it. So I'm going, to, I'm going to get this right now. I think the first was cure. They realised that yeah. you know, that wasn't... Weren't succeeding in that one, so they went to care. But yeah. it really was a sort of imposed care. The doing for. The doing for rather than with. And the third one was reciprocity. Yeah. And because of their culture, they had this wonderful phrase, which I think was something like treasured partners. And then there were examples of how really, and this is so often the case, you will have found it, where the person doing the caring was getting as much out of it, almost, as the person being cared for. They were learning so much, they were getting so much from it. And that was quite moving in its own way, actually, these lessons that are being... Yeah. And and certainly if I go into a, a good home using the kinds of approaches that we're teaching what I'd look for is a sense of seeing I mean one home recently for example where they're having a beauty session and you think well that's what lots of care homes do you know manicures and hairs and you know that kind of thing nothing special about that but when I went into the lounge the two older women with dementia were doing the hair of the care workers oh, fabulous. and the and the, the nails the yes. young the young the young yeah. care workers were having their nails done and then they oh, were exchanging and I thought that's the difference yeah, in absolutely. an approach, you know, this butterfly approach back that we to them teach. And us, it's back to actually, you can't see who's staff and yes. who's resident. There's a, yes. there's a merging. Because actually, that's one of my benchmarks. Whatever I'm going to do, I did a thing at the Royal Academy with art and dementia, yeah. and it was absolutely genuine. I looked around and I thought, I honestly don't know. Who's the facilitator? Who's yeah. the relative? Great who's sign. got the dementia? Great I just sign. didn't know. I looked around and thought, okay, well, I might know by the end of the hour, yeah. but I might not. And it's the same with the European Reminiscence Network work, yes. the Remembering Estate Caring Today work Pam, that I've done with Pam, Pam Schweitzer. Yeah, that, you know, when you go in there, everybody's remembering. We're not just getting the old Absolutely. people to remember. You're all doing it together, aren't the, you? The family yeah. members are remembering, the staff, the volunteers are remembering, the staff are remembering. You know, we all have memories. I mean, my 17-year-old reminisces. Of course. You don't just reminisce when you 
get to 70 or whatever, do mm. you? We all reminisce about mm. life. Mm. So I think mm. there was this danger of seeing reminisce. That's another one of my sort of slight hobby horses, seeing things as therapy, you know, reminiscence mm. therapy, pet therapy. Mm. Is it, is it um, doing too Doll to... therapy. Actually, interacting with a doll for a person with dementia mm. is not, you know, it's therapeutic, mm. but mm. it shouldn't be seen as it something... imposed as a therapy on exactly, them. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. That actually, in a good place, you'll see dolls around and things because people... We know now that dolls, even though they, some people are nervous yes. because they think, oh, is it childish or whatever? Yeah. But actually, you see somebody coming to life because they're nurturing something again. Oh, it's incredible. My mum would have loved it. You see, that's something I didn't even realise, and I'm afraid the care home she was in on nursing home didn't. Would have seen it as, as infantilising. Well, I don't again. know if they even got thought that about far, it. No. Sally, back then, but I know she would have loved that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the sad things. Really. I mean, my mum, who's um, in her 80s now, always says, just give me a colouring book. She loves colouring. Yes. And um, she used to love doing it with my daughter. And she said, you know, yes. actually, it's very simple pleasures yes. sometimes. I, I, yes. So there's a danger, I think, when we see something as childish. Yes. That we rule it out. Yes. And, you know, obviously, we do need to respect that people have long adult yes. life histories and things. Yes. But we know some of the things that work well yes. for young people also do work for people living with dementia because it's more colourful, accessible. Yes, it's often to do with sort of practical things, yes. well, doing yes. sort of tasks or kind of sorting, or sorting, or, yeah, or... sorting socks or whatever mm. it is. Mm. You know, we do create activities like that because we know they're not too demanding and yet they're mm. still rewarding. Mm. That brings me on to a couple of things, actually. One is, do you think that you can ever teach somebody what we're talking about? I mean, or do you just, would you, if you were going in to a care home and or if you were doing your interview of people and think about recruiting would you just always discount somebody who you thought you haven't quite got that in you that it's a sort of innate understanding that everybody's just human and this is not going to be a tick box exercise and we don't just want to do the therapies and or do you think you can train somebody to understand that or is it just something some people have it and some people don't? Uh, it's a very good question Pippa I know it's one I'm constantly asking myself I think there has to be something in someone that you can bring out that potential. So I think it can be brought out, but if it's absolutely not there, then you're, you can't mm, teach so it. So we see the curve. So the sorts of training we do is not based on the classic sort of dementia awareness stuff. We do much more around life story themselves. So we would get staff in a room and share three objects about their own life stories, for example, as one of the first training sessions we do right. with people to see whether people have that ability to reflect. I think what I would say is some people have it in a much quieter way, so we don't want just oh, the extroverts. Yes, I that's mean, interesting. Because I'm the person who can go in and you know get people yes. singing and I'm a very sort of extrovert personality, but sometimes we find quieter mm. people who have mm. that very gentle way of being alongside mm. someone. So mm. in a team I'd be looking mm. for a mix of people mm. and it's yeah. not necessarily... The chatterboxes mm. always. It's sometimes mm. the people who are the good mm. listeners, the mm. who notice the person mm. in the corner who's not mm. had any mm. contact for a while, and mm. so that takes time sometimes to sort of know whether someone has it in them yes, or not. Yes, of course. Yes. But you do often pick up the ones who are never going to get it as well. Yeah. I, I will be honest. There are yeah. sometimes teams yeah. where I think that'd be good at something. There else. are a couple of people who yeah. really should not be, be in this job. job. They got the wrong. And that yeah. worries me yeah. because yeah. sometimes when people are desperate around recruitment, they yeah. do recruit people who shouldn't probably yeah. be in the job yeah there's so much actually i could talk yeah. to you about but another thing you said when what you know now and what you didn't know before was the way that with somebody particularly i think with 
possibly with dementia, you've got to use other ways of communicating with them. Mm. And that might be, you know, looking at the body language, the eyes, the Mm. face. And then also, and I found this fascinating coming from you because you are such a wordsmith and such a lover of language, I know Mm. that, not to be scared when words aren't the main medium of communication. Mm. I was interested in your word scared. Scared. I suppose people do get scared around that. I haven't really Mm. thought about it. Explain all that. I find later stage dementia work very scary. I think that is the word. I you know people think I, I've got thirty years' experience. Yes, I, I mean I was surprised. <clears throat> loads of when expertise. You said that. No, when I approach somebody who I don't know much about, that's particularly difficult. If you've got no life story yes. context, I mean that's why life story for us is so important in the work. Because if I know that person's been an engineer, just or explain. An, most people probably will, but what life story work? Well, is. most of the people we work with, we try and ensure that we know their background, so we know their jobs, they know their favourite football team or hockey team in the case of Canada sometimes or what made them laugh or what's made them cry in their lives because at least then you've got an entry point. But if you approach somebody who has got no sort of formal verbal communication, maybe just sounds, and you don't have any knowledge of who they are and they're kind of slouched in their chair and their eyes are downward and they look quite depressed in terms of how their body tells you you think well you know is this an intrusion do Mm. I come close or maybe that's Mm. too imposing Mm. you know so I've got better at it now of of just kind of sitting with that for a bit because what most people do is they just avoid that person you know a bit like my elderly man I visited in my first Mm. job so how do I find a way to connect I use my eyes and I I think my eyes are quite an engaging part of my face so I'll use my eyes to convey kindness to convey I'm here I might use my hand to make a connection but again you need to read whether that's okay for that person at that moment you can't see this obviously because this is a podcast but Sally I'm I'm doing a lot of body language she is and it's lovely I mean you are really you're getting you're engaging me with your eyes you've got good eye contact Um, I can't really pull away from you or I could but yeah it's very engaging it's very friendly it's very warm Yes, I mean, a lot of people say I'm very good with children as well because children respond in the same way um, because I've got a very active body language. When I'm talking about it in training, I talk about it as plus-plus communication, that you enhance your active listening skills. So like when you're talking to someone on the phone and you're trying to show them you're listening and you can't, you might... We talk about listening noises. You go, ah, oh, 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 gosh. You know... know, Yes, yes, oh, gosh, yes. People living with cognitive difficulties, I think, need you to give them more cues that that, that you're Mm. actively listening Mm. and to mirror, again, that's a skill, what they are giving you. So if they are in a very animated way, but not clearly in their language, trying to convey something, so they might go, you know, in gobbledygook, go, and I might try and say, oh, no, to to actually reflect back their their feeling. So you would literally mirror the sound? Yes. Okay. And again, for a novice, that might look as if you're mocking or, you know, it's got to be done very sensitively. But it can be really powerful if you essentially pick up the feeling that someone's trying to communicate to you and try and reflect that back in the way that you give the either a sound or a body language signal back so that the key learning for me is what is the main feeling you're getting from someone yeah, are they depressed are they animated are they angry are they frustrated and many of us don't take time when we're communicating people to just take a moment and go hmm, what's this main emotion I'm getting from someone Mm. and how can I 
be validating, respectful mm. of that emotion in the way that I communicate back. And what happens with some inexperienced care workers is somebody says, for example, I want to die. You know, we hear that quite a lot. Mm. And the default with many English people is to go, oh, don't do that, cheer up, yes. have a cup of tea. Yes. You know, we try and lift yes. people, don't yes. we? Yes. Um, rather than going, phew, that's... That's tough if you're really feeling that desperate about things to mm. to to really stay. And I, I have to say, I, I recently, as you know, had um, a cancer diagnosis a few years ago, and I really noticed the people who were able to just be with my sadness and my fear around having a obviously quite serious diagnosis rather than trying to go oh cheer up you know it's an early catch you'll be fine everybody you know cancer's easily mm, curable now jolly you along yeah and it was really significant to me the friends who could go yeah actually this is frightening Shit. yeah exactly my... apparently you can swear <laughs> thank you oh, good i'm pleased <laughs> I'm not i was gonna say that but yeah i mean my dad died at 52 i got a diagnosis of 52 of the same you know Ooh. you know that's mm. hard mm. um mm. And mm, I'm, I'm only bringing it back to me in the sense that there was a moment for me with that where I thought, oh, I thought I understood all this stuff around being around people with painful feelings. And it's right. only when I face something very own, serious myself yourself. again that I thought, now I understand what being with people really is about. The friends who really got that. And there were some awesome friends who just didn't try to fix it, yes. but showed me constantly through little messages, yes. maybe a card in the post, maybe a yes. phone call, that they were with me. And I've really learned from that in my work now. Okay. So you're talking about sort of dwelling in it a bit with them, not pushing on through, or... I'm very interested in this. This is... I suppose just not trying to... It's what you said, not trying to jolly people along. Mm. But sometimes in dementia you know and you and i are the first to try and present the positive side yes. of dementia and yet yeah, we can live well thing with it talking about there isn't it that's <clears throat> the outward facing image and trying yeah. not to get all this but there's something for me in my recent work about actually acknowledging the pain of it the terrible loss for the relatives and for those living with dementia and i've talked to wendy mitchell about this a woman you know as you know living with dementia yes. that she says it's she was relieved when i got her to do a talk with me around emotional pain that we should be okay to talk about yes, that. acknowledge that. Yes. Yes. To say, yes, life is very different. And Wendy, yes. Wendy articulates that very well. She does. She does indeed, um, yes. That, you know, yes, she's doing her best and she's living yes. well in lots yes. of ways. But when it's awful, but she doesn't a, back, back to the shit word, there is still yeah. a lot of yeah. really awful things around. And, yes. and for you, caring for your mum, and for me with my grandmother, you know, Acknowledging that you are facing a multitude of losses over a period oh, of and a multitude years. of emotions and very complex emotions yeah. actually that are often contradictory and battle yeah. away inside you don't know. Yeah, mm. and I think we need to get better at not. Yeah, obviously we don't want to sort of dwell in it in a negative way, no. but just to say those feelings are normal and okay. That's quite interesting too, Sally, because I think you and I are both talking about. The person with dementia yeah. and the carer are yeah. we here? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's as you know, lots of people say it's so important to look at it all in the round. Yeah. But there's always a danger of focusing on one bit, isn't there, of all this? Because the whole thing of it is so complex. Often I will talk about the carer, and then it's interesting when you say yes, but also there's the pain of the person with the dementia. I remember once my mum saying she was crying, yeah. and I said why, and she said because I can't remember my life. 
And that was just shocking Ooh. thing to hear. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those like intake of breath moments, isn't it? Uh, think about it. And the more you think about it, the worse it is, actually. Yeah, horrid. There is a danger in sort of thinking that, this is going to sound awful, actually, but we sort of know that's what happens with dementia. Why did I get hit so much by her articulating it? Yeah. It's a good question. I think because sometimes we assume a person with dementia has perhaps lost some insight. Absolutely. When we realise, particularly with vascular dementias, people do have retained insight and surprise, surprise, therefore get depressed as well. You know, I, I do think depression is the big D word, actually. We don't talk about enough. You know, dementia has got a lot more profile and I'm very pleased it has. But actually... Living with depression is yes. is the big D, yes. because if you've got dementia and a depression, which is not unusual because of the nature of, of the illness, then you lose hope. And we know to live well, you need some sense of hope. You do. And what we try and create in good care, I think, is a sense, moment by moment, that the relationships you have with people give you a sense that you still matter as a person. Yes, absolutely. You have a purpose, and you matter, yes, you're as important as anybody else. I see you, I care about you, as and let's do this together rather than let's do it to you. Yes. And that makes me think, yes, I've still got a reason to get up in the morning. And yes. To, and I'm not saying that that's a cure for depression, because when you're really depressed, actually, that's mm. not going to necessarily get you out of bed, is mm. it? But it certainly helps, we know, mm. to get outside more often, to have contact with children mm. and animals, all the things we've talked mm. about to feel you have a friend. Mm. I mean, mm. one of our sort of jokes in many of the care homes we work in is a lot of them have sofas because it encourages people to sit closely. Yes. That if you're in a chair, chair. with sort of yes. separate, you know, kind yes. of, you've got your little island chair. Absolutely. But if you're in a sofa, you might yes. just feel somebody's yes. leg beside Absolutely. you or perhaps even the, lean your head on. Touch. Yeah. So more sofas, less chairs would be one yes. of my mottos. <laughs> And more sitting with people rather than dashing around. Again, staff often feel compelled Absolutely. to do the jobs rather than yes. just stop and stay. That was that great quote from wonderful Tim yeah. Lloyd Yates, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Who sadly died. But yes. I remember him saying to me, yes, when he walked into his mother-in-law's care home, he realised there were two speeds. Yeah. The staff were rushing around like yes. you know, crazy. Yes. And the old people were sitting there on their own. Yeah. Nobody was talking to them. Yeah. No, culture change for me is staff sitting down more and people living with dementia yeah, sitting down less. Of that. That's yeah. the reverse. But it's relatively easy in one way and yet to get staff to say, actually, the beds can wait, the tasks can wait. Yeah. Why don't you share a meal, stop and, and sit? they've got to be given permission to it's do that. It's permission again. Mm, yeah. So that's, that's from the sort of top down, that's yeah. the cultural I mean, management. one home I went to, the manager had a sign up on the wall saying, when you've finished your jobs, please take time to talk to the residents. Mm, should you be the other way around. It's like, whoa, <laughs> well, you know, what if they never finish their jobs? <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a, a silent, silent home. You don't talk whilst you're doing the jobs, you know. There's a priority... Mm. mismatch mm. there isn't there mm. that, that mm. we've really got to address mm. Sally that's wonderful and actually I think you and I could sit in your daughter's bedroom as we are yes talking about this forever couldn't we yeah but thank you very very much it's been lovely and thank you when I go into a nursing home can you be there with me oh, <laughs> I hope we'll I hope we'll be together <laughs> talking to Sally Knocker was absolutely fascinating the overriding message I took from her was simply that there is no them and us, just we. How very right she is. This way of viewing life lies at the heart of the very best care and at the heart of Sally's culture change work, which among her various roles, she carries out for meaningful care matters. 
this agency works with international care partners to support those with dementia to live life with, as Sally puts it in her inimitable way, connections, meaning and moments of joy. You can find their website at MeaningfulCareMatters.com and, as ever, there is also www.alzheimers.org.uk and www.dementiauk.org to whom you can turn for support. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast, and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.